That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. It's a grim day. The war against Ukraine has commenced. We're going to get into a bit of a deep dive today on, you know, who, what is, who is Ukraine? What is Ukraine? What are the resources that Ukraine has? What does this mean? What will be, uh, what will be the U.S. response? Donald Trump has uh, taken a side with Putin. We'll dig into that. How, how could we have had such a sorry piece of crap like Trump as a president? I mean, it's just, it's breathtaking. We can't look away from Ukraine. Also, China now, I'm going to get into this a little later on in the, in the program, is China now taunting Taiwan? They're doing overflights of Taiwan right now as the Ukrainian invasion began. And uh, Putin appears to have threatened a nuclear attack on the West if we defend Ukraine in any way. <laughs> Last night, Louise and I were watching, watching the news, and during a commercial on whichever network we were watching, I thought, let's pop over and check out the BBC. And we did. And the BBC was carrying the UN Security Council live. And I watched it for about an hour. It was just, uh, I mean, we were up until well past midnight last night. And, and then about one o'clock in the morning, I actually wrote my rant, which, is, uh, which I'll share with you in a moment at HartmanReport.com. But the Security Council is headed right now by Russia. So Russia's ambassador was running the meeting and country after country's ambassador, it started out with the U.S. ambassador, then went to the German ambassador, as I recall. Excuse me, I, I believe it started out with the Ukrainian ambassador. And the Ukrainian ambassador just ripped in to the Russian ambassador who was running the meeting and said, you know, do you want me to show you on my phone the invasion of my country? And what do you have to say for yourself? I mean, he was just really going off on the Russian ambassador. And the Russian ambassador, finally, the Ukrainian ambassador demanded an answer. You know, what is your response to this? Because the Russian ambassador had, had opened with basically a speech saying, we're not doing anything wrong here, quack, 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 quack. And the Russian ambassador just looked like he was collapsing in his chair. I mean, this guy, maybe he's got some kind of congenital spine deformity, but I don't think so. He just, he looked like he could barely hold his head up, like, like he was so ashamed of himself. And finally, 
when the Ukrainian ambassador demanded that he say something, he said, I'm very sorry, but at this hour, I cannot awaken Foreign Minister Lavrov. I've done that before in the past, and it has not gone well. Or words to that effect. I'm not quoting verbatim, but, uh, you know, this is from memory. I, I watched it last night. And then he handed it, and so he said, okay, next up is Germany. And so he handed it over to Germany. And then the German ambassador comes on and says, we stand with Ukraine. This is intolerable. And then it went to the French ambassador. And then it went to the Albanian ambassador, one of Ukraine's neighbors, one of the former Eastern European, one of the former Soviet states. And of course, Putin has dropped any pretense whatsoever of this is about NATO threatening us. That's not even on the table anymore. What he's arguing now is that Ukraine never was a country, that Ukraine was an invention of Russia and that Russia deserves to have it back. And, you know, if he's trying to get the band back together, the former Soviet Union, Albania might be next or one of the ones next in line. It appears that if that's the case, that NATO will be the thing that holds him back. And that's going to get very dicey because if Russia takes on NATO, that could be the beginning of a nuclear war. There are three countries basically in Europe that are not members of NATO. Switzerland has uh, always declared its independence from its neutrality, shall we say. And they're probably not going to change on this. But Finland and Sweden, and Finland shares a border with Russia, have not joined NATO. They both, not in the Security Council meeting, but uh, separately, they both indicated that they are going to participate with NATO. Forgive me, I, I don't recall the name of the kind of cooperation group that, that comes out of NATO that they had not been participating in, but they are going to. And, th and this is typically the first step to becoming a member of NATO. So it was, I, I mean, I was just jaw dropped. And I kept popping over to American networks to see if anybody was covering this incredible, shocking, dramatic event at the United Nations and nobody was carrying it. So I'm guessing for my American audience, which of course is the vast majority of my audience, you had no idea what happened in the UN last night. And the Secretary General of the United Nations, just right to camera, said, uh, President Putin, pull back your troops in the name of humanity. I mean, it was, I have never seen something so intense out of the UN. And I've been watching the UN since I was a kid. I remember Dag Hammarskjöld. <laughs> I, you know, he was one of my heroes. Back when I owned an ad agency in the 90s, as a Christmas gift, I sent a copy of his book, Markings, to all 110 or so of our clients. If you've never read Markings, it's, it was his, his diary from that time. A spiritual diary, essentially. But in any, I, I'm digressing here, but... That was my evening. So out of that, finally, after the UN finished and I went back and I looked at the American news and it was basically, you know, kind of war porn. And that's not to dismiss it. We, we need to see what's going on here. But I wrote my op-ed for today over at HarvardReport.com, which is titled A War Against One is a War Against All. And noted that as you read these words, as you hear my voice right now, Cities across Ukraine are under siege. Families are gathering their most precious goods. I mean, what would you take out of your home if you knew that there was a possibility that a missile was going to blow it up? What would you take? This is what these people are doing. They're, they're trying to calm their terrified children. 
One of the most poignant clips I saw yesterday was they were interviewing a family in eastern Ukraine, and as the uh, rockets were going off or the mortar shells, and they had a three-year-old daughter, and, and the father said, we're, we told her it's thunder, like thunder and lightning. It's just thunder. Don't worry. And they're desperate to flee, but they don't know where to go. I mean, the, the highway from Kiev to Poland is, is a parking lot right now. Americans have no memory of what it's like to have our own towns shelled, to have our own homes blown apart, to see our family members die and see bodies in the streets as, as brutal men in uniform spread terror and death and destruction. We just have no memory of that. The last time we were invaded by a foreign country was the War of 1812. On August 22nd, 1814, President James Madison, you know, the father of the Constitution, left the White House to his wife, Dolly, and rode off on his horse to command troops against the British and the Canadians. Dolly, the next day, August 23rd, cut the portrait of George Washington out of its frame and made off with it as that evening British troops came in and, and sacked the White House and set it on fire. The Madisons never again lived in the White House. It wasn't until you know the first year of the James Monroe administration that the White House was occupied again. That and the horrors of the Civil War were our last experiences on this continent of widespread domestic warfare. And the only Americans alive right now who remember what it's like for an American city to actually be under siege are the tiny handful of survivors of racial violence in places like the Tulsa massacre in the Greenwood neighborhood, and that was in 1921. Outside of those few survivors and their relatives, the terror, the senseless loss of life, and the organized violence that is war is basically an abstraction to most Americans, something we see in movies. But right now it's real for Ukrainians, particularly the Ukrainian children. I think it's important to note that war is legalized mass murder, and historically it's been legalized mass pillaging, looting, and raping. It's like people step out of their own humanity and become monsters. Their brutality almost unrecognizable as humans when wars begin. We become like a pack of wild dogs or a swarm of locusts or the reaction of hornets when their nest is damaged. Something other than civilized. I mean, there's something deep in our DNA. We see this in chimpanzees as well, this, this bloodlust, this warlike in, in groups, this warlike uh, imperative that drives us to this, this kind of temporary insanity to murder total strangers in mass numbers. And because we have these demons so deeply buried in us, societies throughout history and prehistory have organized themselves in ways to reduce the chances of war. You know, we let our horrible instincts, you know, we, we release them with things like football, you know, gladiator sports, football. The Iroquois did it with lacrosse. The Olympics were invented to diminish the probability of war. But there's also a small slice of humanity that, or there is, you know, through nature or nurture or whatever, actually kind of deviate for the, from the norm in such a way that they would contemplate an order to mass murder, that they would commence war against others or charge into the face of a murderous onslaught. When they're defending their people, we consider them great heroes. Franklin Roosevelt, Ulysses S. Grant, uh, Winston Churchill. When they're the aggressors, history records them as monsters. Adolf Hitler, Andrew Jackson, the Indian killer, Joseph Stalin, who starved four million Ukrainians to death to force them into submission. 
So here we are. This is one of those hinge points of history, the moment that people remember other events in the context of before and after that moment. So make no mistake, this is a turning point. And a war against one is a war against all. As John Donne told us, any man's death diminishes me because I'm involved in mankind. Therefore, send not to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. We'll be back. This is the Tom Hartman Program. I want to give you some backstory about Ukraine. Gary in Kansas City, Kansas. Hey, Gary, what's on your mind today? Yeah, Tom, I wanted to point out a few key factors about Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Uh, Russia was named the world's most unequal economy with an estimated 83% of Russia's wealth now owned by its richest decile and oligarchs. Right, it's richest 10%, yes. For people who don't know what a decile is, (laughs) yes. That's right, that's right. And when, when oligarchs in Russia concentrate all this wealth in their own hands, it slowed the Russian economy. So that gives Putin two choices. He can either reduce Russians' oligarch wealth concentration to spur the economy, or he can conquer another country and confiscate their wealth to boost the Russian economy. Now, Ukraine's natural resources are enormous. They have exactly 5% of the Earth's natural and mineral resources. Ores like titanium, iron, non-metallic raw materials are their major exports, in addition to natural gas, and of course everybody knows about their wheat. So basically what you have is an instance where Putin follows the path of ancient Rome colonialism and other colonialist powers throughout history and takes over Ukraine. But Putin can't go on TV and tell the Russian people that he's declaring war on Ukraine to protect oligarchs' wealth concentration and offset Russia's economic stagnation by confiscating Ukraine's wealth. So instead, Putin claims that the war on Ukraine restores Russia's glorious historical boundaries and reunites the countries of the well, Soviet Union. The two Union. are not necessarily mutually incompatible. Uh, it's entirely mm-hmm. possible that, you know, invading a country that is rich in natural resources, and I'm going to do a deep dive on that in just a moment, mm-hmm. you know, is a helpful thing. It plays well to the domestic audience. I mean, you know, that's, I think to right. some extent his whole, we're going to denazify uh, Ukraine is, is like Donald Trump ranting about, you know, getting rid of Mexicans in America or people from S-hole countries. There is some nationalistic uh, with that. There's a lot of it. But he, he doesn't want to tell them that his real reason is to keep oligarchs' wealth intact. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, yeah, I've seen that theory. In fact, I've seen basically your rant. I don't know if you posted it on, on Twitter this morning or... But, yeah. You know, yeah, okay. So I, I read your rant this morning on my Twitter feed. Now, and I can't disagree with it. The question of what, is, what exactly is going through uh, President Putin's mind is something that I don't think any of us can know. Yeah, that's true. But, you know, what's the old saying? Look at what they do, not what they say. And, and what that's he, a good one. Yeah, and what he's doing is, you know, this very well-planned, very precision. I mean, you know, take out the mili- anything that might militarily threaten you, then bring in the helicopters and soften it up, uh, you know, throw in some missiles, terrify the civilian population, 
and then you know I'm guessing probably by the end of the day today or the end of the day tomorrow bringing the ground troops after everybody else is freaked out and we'll see how it plays out Gary Gary thank you for the call I uh, you know pretty cogent analysis there thank you Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef to you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity And what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So just just a, a few facts you may not have known about this situation. And I mean, there's, there, there is so much I want to share with you today. I'm going to get it into, but Ukraine right now has the second largest reserves of natural gas in all of Europe. In all of Europe, they have 1.09 trillion cubic meters of gas. They are second only to Norway, which has 1.5 trillion cubic meters. And Norway is mind-bogglingly rich because of this. Currently, uh, Russia supplies between 40 and 50% of Europe's gas. Germany is getting 55% of its natural gas from Russia through Ukraine, and uh, much of it through Ukraine. And uh, by the way, that passage through Ukraine is is, uh, allowing Ukraine to collect a transit fee of $7 billion a year. That's 4% of Ukraine's economy. Ukraine's natural resources are mind-boggling. They have 5% of the world's natural and mineral resources. Keep in mind, Ukraine is a country the size of Texas. And they're being attacked by Russia, a country that's you know, one of the largest in the world geographically, with a very substantial population, but whose economy is only the size, it's actually smaller than California's. But Ukraine has titanium, iron, all, and their exports, they, they, they uh, 
They exported $4.7 billion worth of corn last year, $3.7 billion worth of seed oils, $3.5 billion worth of iron ore, $3.1 billion worth of wheat, $2.5 billion worth of semi-finished iron. And most of this was exported to Russia, $4.6 billion of total exports, China, $3.9 billion, Germany, $3 billion, Poland, $2.7 billion, and Italy, $2.5 billion. In 2019, Ukraine was the fifth largest exporter of iron ore in the world. They have huge lithium fields that are in the Donbas region by and large, but also in uh, Kirovorod and uh, I can't even pronounce this other area. They are second globally in gallium extraction. These are rare earths necessary to make chips and things. Fifth globally in germanium, sixth globally in titanium. Boeing needs Ukrainian titanium. I'm just going to very quickly finish this up and then uh, toss it to you to your calls. I want to get into also what the Ukraine invasion and Russian sanctions might mean for the software industry. That's a huge thing. And, and uh, also, in a big way, I want to get into why are Republicans and Fox News just so hysterical to embrace people like uh, President Putin and uh, Viktor Orban of Hungary, uh, these authoritarian leaders. What's going on with that? How is this going to play out politically? We'll get into that in the second hour. In the third hour, uh, China is threatening Taiwan now. We'll get into that. Um, but just to, just to finish the natural resources part of this, um, as I said, uh, Ukraine has the largest lithium reserve in Europe. Lithium, of course, necessary for lithium-ion batteries, which is what we make electric vehicles out of. They're number two in the world in gallium, number five in the world in germanium, uh, number six in the world in titanium. Uh, they, they have uh, seven licensed fields and blocks of titanium. They're seventh in the world in iron extraction, eighth in the world in manganese extraction. I mean, this is, this is serious, serious stuff. They have 20% of the world's proven reserves of titanium. Boeing gets their titanium through a Russian company that's getting it out of Ukraine. What's, what's going to happen? Because they make airplanes. You know, the titanium is a light, strong metal uh, that is heavily used to make, to make airplanes. Uh, in 2021, China was the largest importer of Ukrainian titanium, 24% of it. Russia imported 15% of it, but we're importing it as well. So that's just the titanium. 40% uh, of Ukraine's annual corn and wheat shipments go to the Middle East or Africa. That's at risk. Uh, the United States only supplies about 10% of those regions wheat. I mean, there's, there's consequential stuff here. This, this, I mean, the, you could characterize this as a war for national status, as a war to help uh, Putin's, you know, politically, domestically. It could also be characterized as a war for natural resources. Ukraine and much of, much of Ukraine's natural resources have not been exploited. Their natural gas, for example, most of it has not been drilled or fracked. It's still under the ground. We know it's there, but it's not being used. And uh, so anyhow, uh, let's pick up some of your phone calls here. Elmore in New York City. Hey, Elmore, what's up? Hi, listen, uh, the history of all global European is one in which the whole world constantly gets caught up in the crossfire of their bloody life-destroying need for land and gold due to the sick, resource-poor mentality that has driven them for, lo, these many millennia. 
Right. I don't. I think that what has to be dealt with, you know, everybody talks about CRT and how the history of the trauma that black people have um, gone through historically. Nobody ever talks about the history of the European um, uh, trauma that they've gone through historically because they've come from land poor, people poor, and resource poor places in this, in this world. For, for, nobody ever deals with that. There's an unacknowledged trauma that I think is in the European mind where they always have to take other people's stuff because they're a fear of lack. Yeah. I wrote a piece about this actually a few months ago uh, titled uh, the, the Lost People, you know, about how Europeans were also stripped of their identity. It just happened a lot, a hell of a lot earlier than, than what Europeans did to African Americans. But yeah, I get it, Elmore. I, I absolutely get it. Thank you very much for the call. Steve in St. Petersburg, Florida. Hey, Steve, what's on your mind today? First of all, Tom, I want to thank you for always contextualizing everything, even going as far as mentioning evolutionary biology and how violence and territorialism and groupism is indeed embedded in primates' DNA, and that's why it's so hard for us to stop wars, because it's partially in our programming. Number two is that if you read The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich, you see that Putin's verbiage, his rationale, for his Ukraine expansionism is exactly word for word why Hitler said that the that the bad countries were forcing him to do this. Right. Number Particularly three, the Sudetenland and Poland. Right, right. It's like the exact same. And as you've been mentioning about resources, Hitler was quite explicit. We need more land so we can support more Germans with the resources from that and the slave labor from those lands we annex. Yeah. Number he three, and this really call. troubles me, yeah, on progressive websites, um, including some that have published your articles, the Russian troll farms are active, and you see that they are using the exact same verbiage to defend Putin and praise him as Tucker Carlson, Donald Trump, and the other American traitors and Putin lovers are using. It's insane that the war is not just in the Ukraine. It's a war for the hearts and minds of people, and some progressives are, are falling for the Putin tropes. Uh, I, yeah, I, I saw that this morning. I mean, I, I posted my, my op-ed from Hartman Report on, on Facebook and on Twitter. And, yeah. and, and in both cases, on Twitter, I've, I, I've just noticed in the last three or four days, there have been probably 40 or 50 trolls that have popped up on Twitter where, you know, people who have either joined years ago and have only, you know, only five followers or just right. joined in the last month or so. And, and they're coming out and, you know, and attacking me and attacking the United States generally. And I've, I've just been blocking them, you know, left and right. Um, and, and the same thing on Facebook. You know, the first, I think the first five posts that we got after we posted the piece this morning on Facebook were from, you know, obvious trolls. I mean, I, not even like Republicans that, that have a gripe. It was just, you know, almost certainly uh, Russian or other foreign trolls that, that are thrown in. And, and again, I, I would say, and I keep, I've been saying this for a long time, and, and I don't mean it to soften my criticism of what Russia is doing right now, but there is an international criminal class, essentially, uh, and, and they run a bunch of countries, and, the, and you've got a bunch of oligarchs, you know, like the, the you know, uh, the cutting deals with American politicians and U.S. states and, and everything, and the international criminal class is not on our side. 
and they're not on the side of democracy, not on the side of the West. And I think that we have to make that clear as well. Um, this is not right. just and, one and, and I know you country. have other calls. I'll leave you with this from the great, great George Carlin. Yeah. He said something to the effect of the world is one run by one big club and you and I ain't in it. Yeah, exactly. Um, Thanks, all, Tom. Yeah, thank you, Steve. Although I think we're, we're shifting again to a, to a bipolar world, if, if that's the right word, to basically two spheres of influence, the, the U.S. and then Russia. And then the question is, is China going to throw in with Russia on this and then try to take Taiwan and say, hey, if they can do it, we can do it? Or is China going to say, hey, uh, you know, Putin, you, you overstepped and, uh, you know, we're not comfortable with this because we don't want our territorial integrity violated? Steve in Phoenix, Arizona. Hey, Steve, you're on the air. What's up? Yes, good morning, Tom. Uh, some great comments and uh, insights by Steve there in St. Petersburg. Yeah, that's what I worry about, too, is Taiwan, you know, and, and uh, uh, Xi Jinping and, and China, seeing, you know, he wants to bring that back to the mainland. But uh, this uh, action by uh, Putin last night was beyond putrid. Um, it, uh, it, it's, it's very worrisome. Um, he's been isolated the last couple of years from people, and I think he's uh, devolving possibly mentally. I don't know. But uh, I, I have heard he's that. But, you know, he's so mad at us, you know, for blaming us the, the, the dissolution of the uh, Soviet Union. And it's obvious he wants this. And I'm very concerned he wants Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania. And what does he want to do? Does he want to try and get East Germany back to or Hungary? Well, let's start um, with Poland. Is, that's, that's probably the number one on the list. Yeah, and and, and, and that's that, that's my concern is that you know right now the West has drawn a line in the sand, basically saying Ukraine, you're on your own, even though Ukraine was the third largest nuclear power in the world when the Soviet Union dissolved in 1991. The Soviet Union dissolved. Ukraine was was the place where they had put most of their nukes, and Ukraine then owned those nukes. And they negotiated, it took three years, they negotiated this deal, part of it was the START Treaty, um, they negotiated a deal where they were promised, and the United States signed this, Great Britain signed it, and Russia signed it. They were promised that their territorial integrity would be respected, and the UN promised that the UN would respond if their territorial integrity was compromised, and in exchange for that, they transferred thousands of nuclear weapons out of Ukraine and into Russia and completely denuclearized themselves. And I'm telling you, Iran has to be looking at this right now and going, thank God we started our nuclear program again. Yes, I came to that understanding this morning, too. And obviously, Putin, he just tore up that agreement and decided to heck with it. And Well, I think you um, could argue we I, did, too. Uh, well, okay. We're I, we're not going to get much help from the UN on this with Russia being. No, this this know, was a point that was UN, made last uh, night, Steve, 30. by by the Ukrainian ambassador. He he on you know that I was watching on the BBC. Uh, it was just astonishing. He he just came right out and said to the Security Council. He said we were the third largest nuclear power in the world. We could have held those nuclear weapons. You had no legitimate reason to take them away from us, and nobody tried to take them away from us. And, and, and But we voluntarily relinquished them in exchange for United Nation guarantees that our sovereignty would not be violated. And, uh, you know, you look around the room in the, at the Security Council and everybody was just kind of looking down. I mean, it was, it was uh, one of the most dramatic international diplomacy moments I have witnessed in my whole entire life. If you can, if you can find 
footage of that hour and a half meeting, or maybe it was a little less than that last night at the United Nations with the Security Council. It is so worth watching. Forgive my interrupting you, Steve. Finish your thought. No, no, no that, that, that's fine, Tom. I think I heard uh, a little bit of a blurbs on that last night. So I, I, I like you was also up late last night watching this. Yeah. And uh, just it's um, just amazing and fascinating and disgusting. But anyways, I'll let you go, go uh, you know, because I know you've got other people. But thanks yeah. for giving me the time. Sure. Thanks, Steve. Good to hear from you. What might this do to the software industry? Did you know that an awful lot of the game apps out there are developed in Russia? Very interesting stuff coming down the road. Stick around. We'll be right back. Not to mention one of the uh, world's largest suppliers of antivirus software, Kapersky Labs, started there. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Michael in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Hey, Michael, what's on your mind today? Yes, actually, yeah, my number's Kalamazoo. I org- I'm an organizer in Joliet, Illinois now. Oh, okay. Just this morning, I wanted to point, there's a tactic going on. There are stickers on gas pumps all over. I've been checking with Biden pointing. He says, I did this, and it points right at the cost of gas. And that's the whole hegemony we're up against right now. You know, yeah. the gas production is a monopoly. Republicans own it, you know, here in the United States. And now he's being blamed. And, you know, working people are going to be, you know, going to put their gas in this week they're going to see these stickers i'm hoping the owners take the stickers off but this is highly organized stuff and uh, you know it's a thing we have to be alert to and talk about i think yeah uh, i and and the republican party is going to do everything they can to exploit this i want to talk about that good, you know good, this good. this fellow that we had as president for four years we'll get into that in a minute thank you debbie in uh, matushin new jersey am i saying that right debbie uh, I guess so, Matuchin, Matuchin, uh, a chief, okay. yeah, Native American name. Yeah, um, Tom, so we got the most ominous message on one of my friends' WhatsApp group this morning from a Ukrainian friend who uh, we've done, did a Ph.D. program together here in the U.S. and we've stayed friends over the past 15 years. And, you know, they were very hopeful. My friend, is she worked at an NGO and were building sort of that civic participation, you know, towards democracy, towards more democratic 
values in Ukraine. And, um, this pre- you know, their current president was very, um, she was, they were very in line with him. And um, things were very progressing very well. The USAID was very supportive, a lot of the efforts there, as we know. But the most ominous message from her this morning, this this application, she said, is, is compromise and I will no longer be in contact. And But she was okay. And, you know, it was just heartbreaking because just a few weeks ago she was asking us for civics materials to continue the work that they were doing. They were very hopeful to the end, you know. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and to think that we wake up, uh, you know, finding out this is, the biggest bluff, and, and there was all, always the intention by this uh, madman to invade. You know, it's uh, heartbreaking for the people of Ukraine, and I want you, I want people who are thinking about this as, you know, the U.S. Uh, military intervention for building the military complex and everything, and I had to put that aside for a second and think about the people in Ukraine and what they were fighting for. Yeah. And, you know, and that... Uh, you know, we we have to be supportive of that in whatever way we can. And uh, there are real people fighting with their blood. And she was ready to take up arms. She's a 60-something-year-old late lady, and she's ready to take up arms to fight, literally. And well, we can't even imagine that here, you know, yeah. what, what, what that kind of life must be for them and, and the chaos. And, you know, my friends and us here in the U.S., we're, we just don't know what to do. We're just stunned by the message we saw, and we can't even respond to her because she said don't. So yeah. think about that for a minute and let that sink in, and this is this is a real, real human tragedy story. Yeah. Thank I, you, Tom, I, for allowing me to share this. Yes, Debbie, thank you for, for sharing it. And I, 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 the, the punctuation mark that I would put on it, because there have been horrible wars all around the world, the attacks on Syria, for example, our attack on Iraq, but this is a democracy. Ukraine is a democracy, and or exactly. was. And if there is any principle that stands against our human nature to swarm into war, it is democracy. And uh, you know, you look through the you look through the recent history anyway of the human race, and and you see that so many wars have been caused either by autocracies or by autocrats who are you know, manipulating democracies, like George W. Bush with the war in Iraq. And uh, I, I just, I, I think democracy is at stake here as much as Ukraine is. And, yeah. and May I just say one more thing, Tom? Very quickly. Just shame, shame on the conservative politicians who are egging on Putin. Shame on them. Shame on the conservative media. Shame on them. Oh, yeah. They've been playing Tucker Carlson wall to wall on Russian television for the last four or five days, just wall to wall. Debbie, thank you very much. We'll be right back. I want to get into the politics of all this here in the United States. How are the Republicans responding to this? So uh, Donald Trump is out there going, yeah, Putin, uh, very cool invasion. It's all happening because of a rigged election. If I was here, Putin wouldn't be going after us or words to that effect. I mean, it's it's totally bizarre. Uh, We had... Just an absolute POS for a president for, for four years. I, I just, I'm, I'm so astonished by this. And then you look at these right-wing websites. Uh, the New York Post, the headline, Biden presidency has made the U.S. look weaker to Putin. Really? That's what you want to say? 
It's like, you know, putting stickers on gas pumps. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, the uh, PJ Media, with a weakling in the Oval Office, Putin does what he wants. Uh, American greatness. Biden is making it easier for Putin to act with aggression. Fox News, Biden's failures on energy and foreign policy give Putin the tools to invade. So, so basically the right is saying, okay, we've decided that we're not in favor of the invasion of Ukraine. Before they were saying, oh, it's just fine. J.D. Vance, who wants to be the next Republican senator from Ohio, he was like, why do I care about Ukraine? Who, who gives a crap about Ukraine? I mean, he was ranting about this just three or four days ago. Well, and a number of Republicans like Josh Hawley kind of echoing that message. Now they're saying, well, I guess it's a terrible thing, but it's all Biden's fault. American thinker, it's no surprise that Putin invaded during Obama and, uh, Obama's and Biden's presidencies instead of Trump's. Blue state conservative, Biden has failed Ukraine. Town hall, oh, this is where it gets even weirder. Trudeau's Canadian fascism is a bigger threat to America than Putin. Newsbusters, NBC brings on Obama's Russia ambassador to praise Biden on Ukraine. Well, yeah, I guess they did. Uh, Daily, Daily Wire, Obama's doctor demands Biden take cognitive exam as Russia starts war. Uh, it's like, where? Well, we know, we know who these people are. They don't support America, these Republicans. They, they, they want power and they want wealth. And those are the only things that matter to them. Now, you know, we've kind of always known this about the Republican Party ever since 1920, when they rejected the progressives, when they, when they basically discarded uh, Teddy Roosevelt and William Howard Taft. And, and uh, you know, we got Harding in as president, um, who was about as corrupt as you can get. And he dropped the top ta income tax rate from 91% down to 25%. Yes, Warren Harding did that in 1920. I realize Ronald Reagan did it again in 1982, dropped it from you know 74% down to 25%. But yeah, the first time around, you know, they're all all about the money and the power. I get that, but now, I mean, this this is this is beyond the pale. You've got Donald Trump. Quote, I went in yesterday and there was a television screen and I said, this is genius. Putin declares a big portion of Ukraine, declares it as independent. That's wonderful. How smart is that? And he's going to go in and be a peacekeeper. That's the strongest peace force. We could use that on our southern border. It's the strongest force I've ever seen. There were more army tanks than I've ever seen. They're going to keep peace all right. Now think of it. There's a guy who's very savvy. That's Donald Trump on Putin. Like, you know, he's just... By Mike Pompeo, he was asked about Putin day before yesterday on, on uh, and this is, by the way, being played wall to wall also on Russian state TV. He said, uh, Putin, very shrewd, very capable. I have enormous respect for him. Josh Hawley on, fe on February 3rd uh, was called out by his hometown newspaper, the Kansas City Star, in an op-ed titled Putin's new favorite pet, Josh Hawley. They said, insurrection, racism, appeasement, call it the Hawley Trinity. Charlie Kirk, this uh, younger right winger who is leaving, leading the, the, the youth, the Republican youth movement. He said, quote, who cares? This is a family dispute between two countries, one rather strong, one very corrupt and weak. Right. It being, you know, the fact that Ukraine is a democracy means absolutely nothing to Charlie Kirk 
or Josh Hawley or Donald Trump because they don't believe in democracy. If they believed in democracy, they wouldn't be trying to pass laws to make it harder for people to participate in a democracy. When is America going to wake up and realize that the Republican Party has become an authoritarian instrument in the United States? They have abandoned Americanism. They have given up on the principles of democracy. And they have thrown in with autocrats and dictators around the world. You've got Viktor Orban, who has completely packed his Supreme Court, who has turned all of the major industries in his country over to oligarchs who are friendly to him with a massive kickback scheme going on. He's gone from being a, uh, you know, a relatively middle-class politician to being one of the richest men in the world. And, and uh, what is CPAC doing? They're holding their, their you know, one of their annual conventions in, in Ukraine, in Budapest, this year. Tucker Carlson, and I quote, it may be worth asking yourself, why do I hate Putin? Has Putin ever called me a racist? Has he threatened to get me fired for disagreeing with him? Right, Putin doesn't do cancel culture. That's, that's Tucker's message. How long is he gonna be able to maintain this? In fact, you know, Carlson is basically saying, don't hate Putin, hate Biden. Marjorie Taylor Greene yesterday, she was uh, asked about the situation in Ukraine. She said, and I quote, Ukraine was the number one donor to Hillary Clinton when she was running for president, which is, of course, a, a complete lie. But the day before that, she had said that she wants to impeach Biden for threatening war with nuclear Russia. It's a verbatim quote. Steve Bannon on Tuesday was going off on this stuff about how the, the Russian invasion well, he said, and I, this is, you know, a quote, Ron Filipowski, by the way, tweeted this. He said, we have a chance once in our lifetime to destroy the Democratic Party as an institution. We cannot let this slip from our grasp. That is everyone's maniacal focus. We are in a war. Right. A war against America. By the way, if you want a great summary of this stuff, Mark Sumner over at Daily Kos uh, put it together. It's titled, This is Who They Are. Republicans hurry to support Russian dictator and sneer at America. But in Russia, they are having peace demonstrations. People are, are out in the streets saying, no, we want peace. Stop the war. And the Russian police are, are breaking these things up as fast as they can. But uh, Yuri Dutz, D-U-D-T, is one of uh, Russia's most popular media personalities. And uh, day before yesterday, Tuesday, he said, I did not vote for this regime. He said he felt ashamed of Russia in a post that uh, got over a million likes in just 24 hours. A great piece about this over at theguardian.com. Uh, there was a, a poll done by the Levada Center, which is a, a polling organization that works within Russia, that found that only 45% of Russians agree with, uh, you know, now this was as of Tuesday agree with what's going on. Uh, Russia's cultural and sporting elite, the Guardian notes, usually firmly behind Putin, also expressed their d deep worries. Uh, Valerie Melades, M-E-L-A-D-Z-E, arguably the country's most beloved singer, posted an emotional video in which he begged Russia to stop the war. He said, quote, today something happened that should never have happened. History will be the judge of these events, but today I beg you, please stop the war. Fyodor Smolov 
is the Russian football star. And, and he went to Instagram and posted no more war. I mean, this is, this is uh, you know, in a country like Russia, this is a, a pretty amazing that this is going on. And, and you know, Putin's going to have to reconcile this situation or crack down. And I'm betting on crackdown. I promise to tell you about the uh, digital Cold War that's coming. I'll do that very briefly on the other side of the break. But I, I really think that we all need an opportunity to let our thoughts out and air our, I don't know if emotions is the right word, but, you know, to decompress and to process. And so I'll be picking up your phone calls as well on the other side of this break. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. John in Roselle, Illinois, watching us on Free Speech TV. Hey, John, what's up? What's up? You are live on the air. Hi, Tom. How are you? I'm well. I really what's up? love your program. Thank you. <laughs> you get people thinking. Um, just wanted to say, I mean, I heard some of what Putin had to say yesterday, mm -hmm. and he's definitely setting the table with some potential false flags for going into possibly some of the other NATO countries. and. It's really worrisome that this war can spiral out of control really quickly. What specific? I, I agree with you. It's worrisome, and this, uh, you know, I think that, you know, when Archduke Ferdinand was assassinated, nobody thought it was a big deal, and uh, you know, very shortly thereafter, I believe it was a matter of a, a few months, we were in World War One. Um, but what specifically did he say that led you to think that he was, he had designs beyond Ukraine? I, I didn't catch that. Well, him saying that. If anybody interferes in, in what's going on in Ukraine, uh, their country will see death and destruction like never been seen before. Oh, he was, yeah, he was yeah, threatening the West with nuclear war. There's, that, that was pretty unambiguous. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and but what I was thinking is our best defense right now is to go on offense a little bit. Now, you had a couple ideas. One is we should start building maybe an island off the Aleutians, sort of like the Chinese are doing, or maybe going to Cuba and set up a democratic uh, government. Two things that would put him on the defense. I, I doubt it. I think that, uh, you know, there's a lot that we could do that would really uh, cramp Russia's style. Taking them out of the swift banking system. I'm, I'm you know, I mean, we'll, we'll find out in, in 15, 20 minutes when, when Biden speaks it, what he's going to be doing. But that would be one. Kicking them out of the United Nations, or at least kicking them out of the UN Security Council. That would be a huge one. Basically, Western democracies ceasing all air traffic in and out of Russia. You know, uh, stopping all, all, all the airlines that can be stopped from going in and out of Russia. Or maybe even, you know, uh, uh, messing with the international, the IATA agreement, the international agreement. Uh, IATA is the International Air Transport Association. And they regulate, uh, you know, air traffic control and airlines, um, you know, somehow uh, crippling that. I mean, there, there's, there are a number of things that could be done. Whether, it, at some point, though, one of those things might be the thing that, 
Putin perceives as being such a hit to him and his economy, such a painful experience that he will declare that was an act of war as opposed to an act of, of um, uh, sanction, essentially. And uh, he's, he's behaving like like, you know, an old czar. I mean, he's behaving like a, a guy who thinks that he has absolute power. I think he's going to discover the limits of his power. But when people are behaving like that and they've got the, the world's second largest military nuclear arsenal, you have to be very careful. What do you think he would feel like, though, if we built an island on the, off the Aleutians in international waters? I doubt he would even let us get started. <laughs> I mean, you know, they're, they're, well, they're claiming 200, year, 200 miles of territorial integrity into the into yeah. the arctic i mean they're they're not able to sustain it but they're claiming it seth in christianburg christiansburg virginia hey seth what's on your mind today hey tom how are you good what's up so i i hate to harp on the same subject but it's so pertinent right now i can't help to i, I can't avoid it um the hopi in their book hope villa have prophesied a third world war on page 35 in the bottom of 489 i have the book in fact, I bought yeah, it. Yeah, I know on you do. Hopi I know. We've had this discussion before. <laughs> yeah. But I want to. There's something I'd like to add. Um, the Hopi say that their plight, which is due to uh, Peabody Cole, the Bureau of Indian Affairs, the churches, right. their tribal council, right? Essentially, white institutions that have sought to to exterminate the wisdom of the Hopi. Um, they call this experience a microcosm of the world, and they, you are left to believe that this uh, macrocosm of oppression is leading us into World War III. Now, my question is, and I haven't been able to answer this, is what the relationship is between uh, Global South oppression and the trigger for World War III with Russia and China. Um, I think it's an important distinction because if you can make that clear, we can not only for moral reasons to end oppression, but for uh, peaceful reasons, we can end that oppression and at the same time create world peace. Yeah, this is the reason why I put Andrew Jackson, the president whose picture Donald Trump hung over, you know, next to his desk in the Oval Office, um, among the, you know, Stalin and Hitler, among the great mass murderers of history, um, because he, you know, right. he, he delighted in slaughtering Native Americans, delighted in it, um, proclaimed right. Right. it. Um, that said, I, I think that we always need to be careful when we take the prophecies of another culture and try to understand them or explain them uh, or, or any dimension of that. You know, there, there's all kinds of historical context and cultural context around any kind of prophecy. Um, but it is. Well, there is. There is, but I would like to submit that the Hopi likely wrote the book in order to promote world peace. Oh, absolutely. And they come right out and say it. So thank you for the call. President Biden just came out. He said we're putting severe sanctions. I think probably we haven't seen all the details yet. But from what he said, it sounds to me like the most consequential of the sanctions. And it's interesting, the SWIFT was not included. I'm sort of getting ahead of myself here. SWIFT is the international banking system. And he, he said, we're not going to do the SWIFT sanctions. But he said that the sanctions that they are doing are going to be more severe than SWIFT. He said, our, basically, our European allies were not ready to go with SWIFT. And you know, it's, it's probably because they want to continue to be able to buy gas 
and oil from Russia. And if you blow up SWIFT, they can't pay for it anymore. That's my guess. I mean, you know, I'm, I can't say for sure, but that's my guess. Number one. Number two, he said that we're putting export, technology export sanctions on Russia. That's a huge deal. This is something I, I laid this out on the program yesterday as a possibility, or maybe the day before yesterday. And I think this may be the most consequential. What this means is that any products that are manufactured anywhere in the world that have U.S. technology in them, like most of your cell phones, for example, many of your computers, all sorts of advanced technology, will no longer be able to be imported by Russia or exported to Russia, to, to be more accurate. And if they can, if, if the world stands in unison on this thing, or at least the Western world, the democracies of the world, and I, and I include in that, you know, Japan, South Korea, Taiwan, Australia, New Zealand, I realize they're thought of as the East and not the West, but you know what I'm talking about here, the democratic countries of the world. That will be felt, seriously felt, by Russia and by Russians. And at one point, somebody said, well, you know, how is this going to play out? And he said, let's talk about this in a month, a month or so. I was surprised that he said that, frankly. I, I, uh, I had expected that if he was going to put in a, you know, when we're going to reevaluate this timeline, that it would have been weeks or days. But um, it will take a little time before Russians discover that they can't buy cars that have U.S. technology in them. Uh, they can't buy cell phones and things like this. So, you know. Like I said, we'll see how this plays out, but uh, this is what's going on right now, and, and I thought that was a hell of a speech. Um, and, 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 and he also made the point, by the way, that the price of oil right now is high in large part because of what Russia's doing. Russia's one of the leading suppliers of the world and, and one of the dominant forces in OPEC. And so these stickers you're seeing on gas pumps all over America that say this gas price brought to you by Biden, no, they're brought to you by Putin. And Mohammed bin Salman, or uh, you know, Mr. Bonesaw, as they as they call it. So, let me pick up your phone calls here. Gar in Decatur, Georgia. Hey, Gar, what's on your mind today? Uh, how you doing, Tom? Good. What's up? Uh, the question I would have wanted to ask him: We run a parallel with Russia because we spent 20 years in Afghanistan. They spent 10 years in Afghanistan. And Russia broke up right after they left Afghanistan. They went from 79. To what, 88? And then right after that, 91, they broke up. Yep. And we're going through the same thing that they went through. Because we spent 20 years in that, and we need to be looking at the parallels between Afghanistan, which is the nickname, is the uh, Graveyard of Empires. That's what mm -hmm. we need to be looking at. I think, that's and, a, uh, I think that's an important point, Gar. And the, the difference is that Russia has an economy the size of California, or smaller than California, and the United States has the, you know, the, the largest economy in the world, $20 trillion. And so Afghanistan for us was painful economically, and, you know, and not to mention the loss of life. It was painful, and, and, and status-wise it was painful. But for Russia, it was because, you know, the, the, the size of Afghanistan didn't change and the size of the military force needed to control Afghanistan didn't change. For Russia, it was a far more consequential hit than it was for the but United we, States. Well, we spent two times more 
years in Afghanistan yep. than they did. And probably three Many times years. as much money, but we're bigger and we have you know more money. But, but yeah, I think your point, Gar, that Afghanistan weakened the Soviet Union to the point where they fell apart. And it has weakened America, and 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 I would argue, you know, is also tearing us apart in ways. Is absolutely right, Gar. Thank you for that, Norma in Montgomery, Alabama. Hey, Norma, what's up? Well, I don't think Biden went far enough. His 1.4 trillion amount is ridiculous. So far as I'm concerned, he should just start confiscating everything that Russia owns in this country, and he can start with Mitch McConnell's aluminum plant in Kentucky that he allowed them to buy 40 percent of. Didn't that get canceled? Well, I never heard anything about it yeah. being taken off the table. But we have been selling our United States dirt to all these foreign countries for many years. And I have been complaining about it, saying we need to stop it. We don't know how much Russia owns in the United States. We don't know how much they own in these major corporations that control our Congress. And if our Congress doesn't have any guts to say, well, we made a mistake, we got involved with the Russian people, and uh, we're sorry, guys, and we won't do it again, well, then where, where are we going to go? And you can bet by Saturday Putin will own Ukraine, and from there he's going into Lithuania, Estonia, Latvia, and Poland. And he's not stopping until he wanted to the USSR back, and he's right. Yep. Because or that's what Biden just said, too. Yes. But, but Norma, well, yeah, here's, well, the, here's I get that you, know, you want much more draconian sanctions against Russia, and I, I don't disagree. The problem that Biden has is that he's got, he's got to get like 30 countries to agree on these sanctions, or they don't work. And, and a number of these countries, particularly Germany and you know, other parts of Northern Europe, are heavily dependent right now on Russia for their fuel. For, yeah. you know, and, and so there are limits to what they're, frankly, able to do. I mean, it's the dead of winter right now. Well, you know, March is coming next, you know, Tuesday. March right. will be here Tuesday. Right. And so he's got six months of good weather to take the entire USR back. And if he's not stopped now, you know, he's, he's never going to stop until he gets to everything that he wants. He has a big ego. But, you know, these sanctions aren't enough. And so far as we know, he, he could have a sub sitting in the Baltic right now. He could have a sub sitting in the, in the Black Sea. I'm quite sure he does. Yep. But, you know, this isn't enough. And uh, okay. he I, was I, talking I, about cyber war. Yeah, I could believe that. Some company has been going across the United States buying up the, the sewer treatment plants. And, you know, that would be a nice mess, wouldn't it? It, it yeah. would. It, it, it absolutely would. Norma, thank you. Your, your opinion is registered. Hey, special thanks to Louise Hartman, Sean Taylor, Nate Atwell, Jamie Holly, Joyce the Hammer Nance, Nigel Peacock, Sue Nethercote, Patrick Hoyt, Geraldine Halbert, Ron Hartenbaum, Chase Sprouse, Nicholas Miller, Pat Sweeney, Jabberwocky, Jay LeBlanc, Connor Arroyo, and Carne Verde. All the folks who work on this program. And thank you to you for uh, participating with our program and spreading the good word. Get out there, get active, tag your it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.